Okay, here comes another one of our Q&As with the legendary Michael Lewis, who's still with us, hanging around. Can't get rid of him, to be honest. In our Q&A, question number one, what was the last book that you really, comma, really enjoyed? Two reallys. So I have a question about that question. Okay. So I have enjoyed many books recently, but there's one, I'm going to give you, the the answer I'm going to give you is it's the last book that that threw me into a state of mind I was in as a child when I read that I was just completely absorbed by it to the point where I was back to being 12 years old. It was called, it's called The Long Ships. And it's a novel by, um, uh, I think it's Sven Bengtsson. Long Ships. The Long Ships. And it is, it's the only novel this man wrote. He was a Viking historian. And it's a, it's, it's set, it's a, it's a very funny novel, but it's, it, it's, uh, it's the journey of a young Viking. Uh, and it's a story of, and you, at the end of it, you felt, you, you put it down you feel like I was just a Viking for the last two days that I was right in that world. It was completely plausible and, and just thoroughly gripping and why he never wrote another novel. I do not know, but the long ships, where did you find it? I found it. I was going to dinner with a friend and I got there early and there was a little bookshop next to the restaurant. I went in and the guy in the bookshop owner recognized me and, and he said, uh, would you sign some books? I started signing. He said, you know, and I'm going to change your life. I'm going to give you a book you haven't heard of that's just unbelievable. And he handed me this, and I started reading it. I could not believe it. And you've acquired the rights. You know, I actually looked into acquiring the rights because I thought it's also an unbelievable movie. Turns out a movie was made. Oh, okay. A a long time ago, forgettable (laughs) movie. And someone else actually still has the rights, and they're trying to do it again. So someone saw it, too. Someone else saw this. Cool. Uh, Do you have a favorite writer? Um... I'll give you my favorite English and my favorite American. Go on. Um, my favorite English writer is Orwell. Uh, and he had a huge effect on me because I really had to create my own sense of identity as a writer. I had not thought of myself as a writer as a kid. So I started really thinking, maybe I want to do this when I'm in my tw- early 20s. And he gave me um, strength in my conviction that clarity and simplicity was a, were great virtues. And that, that, that what you need to do is just be as plain as you can be on the paper. And I mean, he's deceptively plain, but he's an unbelievably powerful writer. So Orwell English and Mark Twain American. Uh, and Mark Twain, I'd say, I give him credit. Him and Tom Wolfe credit for uh, my association of the written word with pure joy. Wow. Yeah, it's and bad, it, isn't it? And any, just as the follow-up, give us your favorite Twain book now. Uh, Huckleberry Finn. Okay. And Huckleberry Finn. Well, and maybe that, that's going to come up again. Maybe the, is there a book you'd like to step inside of? Well, I'm going to give you an odd answer to that. I guess we're talking about Will. No, 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 so no, no. I'm going to give you an odd answer to that, but you need to assure me that I can step back out. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, you're, you're okay. not lost. Yeah. No, I'm not. It's not the Kugel Mass episode. No. <laughs> the Woody Allen story about going into Madame Bovary and not being able to, yeah. So I, that, um, John Lanchester's The Wall. Okay. Ooh, yeah, it's a great book. It's yeah. a great yeah. book. And I want to interview the people in the wall. I want to do the nonfiction version of the people who are living in this very plausible post-climate apocalypse world. Uh, he's given us novelistic characters, but I want to go interview him. And that's what I do. I run around with a notepad and talk to people. Um, so that's the book I want to go into. How long do you give a book or do you always finish it? Uh, I think I stopped always finishing it 
by the time I was in college. And, and now, and I've given, and and now I've got less and less patience. It's the thing I dislike most about myself as a reader, that it that I can be put off in the first 15 or 20 pages so easily. And I think the problem is, and it is a problem. I mean, I should give a book more. Is that a problem? I don't think that's a problem. I mean, if you if you're being put off within the first surely it's the it's the writer's problem. It's not your problem. I think it's partly my problem. I think in the same way I'm a little quick quicker than I should be to judge people when I meet them. Um, I think what happens is, but it's it's different in this way. I think I spend so much time editing my own prose that when I see the written word now, what I'm actually doing is not reading, I'm editing. Mm. And I'm quickly, I, I you know, I, I, my interest is to take out a pen and start fixing their sentences. And when I start doing that, they, I just, I'm, they've lost me. And so that, I, I wish I could read with the innocence that I read when I was a kid. It was a joyous thing to have. And I don't now. So I, I, I'm very quickly book, put books aside. Describe your book collection. Um, it's it all because it has to fit into a a, a modest home, and we don't have a giant library. Uh, it's heavily curated. There's almost nothing in the house that I don't really like. Uh, I mean, it's and it's. It's uh, very, very loosely organized because I'm always pulling things off the shelf and putting back in the wrong place. So it's it looks. My wife is very fastidious. She's basically at heart a German that she wants everything <laughs> organized, and th- that that's the most disorganized part of our life because it's the part I'm the authority of, and so she doesn't want to mess with it. But there's a constant source of minor friction. When are you going to clean up the books? But there. So and what's in this collection? There are two parts to it. Anything that might in any way touch on my work is, and this is maybe 500 to 1,000 volumes are in my office, and things that are just pure pleasure interest. Uh, so most most of the fiction, for example, is in the house, and that's another 1,000 volumes. Do you arrange them alphabetically or by color, or do you just shove them in any old house? Subject matter and the novels are organized by region. So all by region, how about that? So, <laughs> the, it, so there, there are four or five shelves of English of English novels, memoirs uh, that are, and then there's four shelves of you know books translated from French, and there's two shelves of books translated from Russian. So that's how I organize. This is good. good. I'm going to do this. No one's ever done that before. Um, are there any books that stand out from your childhood? Ah, uh, well, Huckleberry Finn does. Uh-huh. But that, uh, but I would the, the the book that had the funniest effect on me, and his childhood. This would take me to about age thirteen, fourteen. Uh-huh. Um, I picked off my father's shelf Tom Wolfe's Radical Chic, and I know, I remember the sensation of reading this. It was a piece of journalism. That I didn't. It was about the Black Panthers being invited to Leonard Bernstein's Park Avenue. Uh, apartment for a cocktail party and he was sending up the limousine liberal i i didn't know what a limousine liberal was i didn't know what the black panthers were but the thing was so funny i can remember rolling around laughing with tears coming down my face and i can remember it was the first time i thought i had the conscious thought someone wrote this book that that um up to then most of the books i'd read were like uh biographies of sports heroes or hardy boys mysteries or and i had no sense of like there was an author uh and this is the first time I flipped it over. I said, Tom Wolf. There's a person named Tom Wolf who wrote the book. It must have been maybe 12 or 13. Wow. Uh, so th- that book had a huge effect. 
Do you have a favorite autobiography or biography? The British do memoir best, in my view. The British and the people who want to be British. So Clive James. Oh, yeah. Uh, Clive James' Unreliable Memoirs. The two I would pick, and I thrust in people's hands all the time, um, Clive James's Unreliable Memoirs and Gerald Durrell's My Family and Other Animals. Why would the British do it best? Because um, cause you live, with, a, with the possible exception of your royals, you live in a constant state of anxiety about, <laughs> about what other people think of you. And, and you, pre- you bring that to your telling of your own story. So you're always aware of every point of attack. And you, you, the way you defend yourself, you arm yourself with humor. Uh, and it's uh, that you're just the best at it. And so it's you just, they, 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 in the same way that if you gave me a choice just at a dinner party of listening to a French person or a Japanese person or an English person or an American person talk about themselves, I'd take the, British, the English person every time. They'd, be, they, they'd just be better at talking about themselves because they're terrified of what happens if they do it poorly. Brilliant. This is, I'm learning a lot. Yeah, yeah. No, I love this. Uh, when was the last time you used a public library? It's been years. I do benefits for public libraries all the time. Okay, but you don't go in them. I don't go in them. I used to use the New York Public Library when I lived in New York a lot. It, it was that was a place where you could actually do research, but I don't. I don't. I. I, I just. I haven't used a library in years. Is there a hidden gem of a place where you can do lots of research? My bed. My bed. Work in bed. I have. I. I. I'll, when I'm feeling, when when it's the most decadent pleasure is I have a California king bed and nobody's in the house and I make a big cup of coffee and I just lay in bed with all my papers and figure out what my book is about. Uh, is a California king, is that bigger than a king, is it's, it? It's the biggest bed known to man. It's, <laughs> basi- it's basically a ship. It's a ship with a mattress on top. Uh, wow. So I was expecting maybe a nice little coffee shop somewhere. No. Or a beach. No, I don't really no. know. Beaches, I can't think on beaches. And I, I think actually the better the climate, the less good the thought. Mm. Uh, okay. so, so good climates are bad for, uh, for books. And, and I don't find being around a lot of people helpful. I like being by myself. You know, that's interesting because apparently the country that produces the most amount of books per head of population is Iceland. And that would back that up, ah, you know, the, the worst. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've got a really rubbish climate. Yes, yes. <laughs> you write a book. Yes, you Loads need of books. You, yes, you need lava flows. And you need all kinds of disaster going on. Do some. Yeah. Uh, what or is there a book that always cheers you up? Confederacy of Dunces was a novel written by John Kennedy to won the Pulitzer Prize posthumously. Uh, it, it's the best book about the New Orleans I grew up in. Um, it's a, it's a comic novel with a, a large, fat, shambolic protagonist. And there is not an, there's not a fat, famous comic actor who has not tried to turn this into a movie. You name him, they've tried and it hasn't worked. They've never done it. They've, they never got it off the ground. But the book itself is this masterpiece of social observation. It, and New Orleans is a very peculiar place. It's very hard to get in the page. And he grew up there, wrote this book, killed himself, and his mother got it published. And, uh, and it is, it is, it's the book that takes me back to, to being a kid in New Orleans. And is there a writer we should follow on Twitter? I don't know if you uh, spend a lot of time so there. So I was, I was I, so I don't, I, 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 I lurk on Twitter because I get, I use it as a kind of other news feed to try to get stuff that I might not encounter 
in the New York Times or the Financial Times. And um, there, I, I may mispronounce his name, and he'd have no idea I was following him because I don't follow him by my own name, and I don't ever write anything on Twitter. But his name is, I think, Simon Kustemacher. And he's, oh, yes, yes, I follow him. Is he the guy that does the maps? Yes. Yes. He does the maps. I love those maps. He, it's like a fresh one. His tone is so different from the general noise coming out of Twitter, which is outrage and moral posturing and anger and so on and so forth. It's just, isn't this curious? And his maps are always curious. So he's, he's my favorite Twitter writer. Uh, he gives, I get the most value out of him. He, he, he kind of does maps based on ownership of books or, you know, and so these are real maps. It's, it's, a it's a geographer's understanding of, I think, I don't know if he's a geographer, but he might be, uh, of the world. Um, and you, it just, it's just presenting information in a, way, in a visual way that's this, you don't normally get it. Uh, Michael, uh, thank you very much, Steve, for coming on. Is, I meant to ask you this in our first bit. Is your podcast coming back? Against the Rules is the podcast, and I just wrote the first script for the second season. It'll, it'll, I love that. It'll, I mean, yeah. it was our guest last week, Malcolm Gladwell, who one of, on one of his podcasts said, hey, we're doing this thing, uh, and you're going to love it. And he was right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I absolutely did. Yeah. yeah. So that's coming back. Mal- Malcolm has launched me. Uh, and I don't. You'd be nothing without him. Exactly. No, that's exactly right. That's what he told us, anyway. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Michael Lewis's book is The Fifth Risk. Michael, thank you very much. Thank you. Hello, I'm Violet Manners, and welcome to Hidden Heritage, the podcast that brings you inside Great Britain's favorite destinations. From the same team that brought you the number one history podcast, Duchess. Hidden Heritage will uncover the fascinating stories behind the UK's brightest shining hidden gems. You'll hear from top experts in British heritage, including custodians, historians, artisans, experts, and even the craftsmen and restorers who've worked on some of the most celebrated historic buildings. We will share the untold and unique stories that celebrate UK heritage, from landmarks to architecture, artifacts to myths and legends. Hidden Heritage will highlight a side to British history you have never seen before. I'm your host, Violet Manners, and founder of Heritage X, and I invite you all to join us on this exciting journey. This is Hidden Heritage. You can find Hidden Heritage wherever you listen to your podcasts.